Excited to be able to deliver the message today. Uh, my wife is Amanda, and our son is Pierce. He's a little blonde-haired, blue-eyed kid that likes to go crazy and yell, ball. So uh, if you hear him, you know, just, you can pick him up, just bring him to one of us. Um, we had a good time. We went, to the, we went to the beach this week with Amanda's family and got back yesterday around like 8 o'clock at home, and the Lord just continues to teach me things through this passage that we're going to be studying today, which is Exodus 6, 14 through 30. So if you turn there, you're going to notice that uh, this is normally the part that you like to skip over. Um, and I think that's why they had me preach here this morning, is like just to make sure you're like, what's he going to say? What's this new guy going to talk about? But uh, it looks like Ancestry.com. Um, and, you know, if you have ever looked at your own Ancestry.com, we have once, apparently I'm related to Pocahontas, somewhere down the line. And uh, I know you can tell by my long, dark hair and uh, the way I like to talk to animals and trees. But um, seriously, though, I, I did talk to a lot of pastors about this passage in particular, and they said, I think you should just skip it. And, but we're the branch here. We are not going to skip it. We're going to keep going. We're going to uh, get through the genealogy. And one of the cool things about the Old Testament is that it's meditation literature. So the more that you read it and the more that you ponder it and think about it, the things that are there just kind of start to open up. And it's like, what in the world? Why did God put this here? Because genealogies, uh, the one that we're most familiar with, are normally in the very front of the book. So like you've got stuff in uh, John, or Matthew and in Mark and Luke. Genealogies are going to be in the front. Uh, but this one is in chapter 6, in the, in the middle. And um, why is it in the middle of the book? So it was confusing. So I just studied it and, and pondered it and asked the Lord to teach me and show me why. And I kept reading it over and over and over again. Uh, but before we get into the genealogy, I kind of want to review where we're at uh, in Exodus. So Exodus 3, uh, burning bush, right? God and Moses, uh, they're talking, and Moses is giving God all these excuses as to why he should not be the guy to lead the people out of Egypt. And in Exodus 4, Moses is obedient, finally, and tells Israel, the elders of Israel, that I am is going to deliver them. And then they bow and worship. So Israel's looking pretty good in chapter 4. Chapter 5, Pharaoh makes the Israelites work harder than they've ever had to work. He takes away all the straw, makes them work with more bricks. And then the Israelites start to question God and Moses. So they're like, all right, well, who is this God that you said was coming to deliver us? Because now life is harder again. And uh, they start to question the legitimacy of who Moses is. And they're like, Moses... We don't like you at all. And then Moses questions God. All right? So the beginning of chapter 6, which we went through last week, God commands Moses to go to Pharaoh, and Moses questions God again, saying, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. And it's at this moment that Moses places his and Aaron's genealogy and we're going to read that, but I want to pray first because I feel like I'm talking really, really fast. So, let's pray. Father, thank you so much 
for your goodness and your mercy towards us. Thank you that you've given us your word, that it has purpose and it has meaning, and Lord, every ounce of it is good for us to train us for righteousness, Lord, and to mold our hearts. So, Lord, as we dive into your word this morning, I pray that you would shape our hearts, that we would know who you are more clearly, and that we would live out your vision for our lives even better than we could imagine. We love you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Exodus 6, 14. I'm going to mess up these names. Don't hold me. Don't hold it against me. These are the heads of their fathers, the houses and sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, Hanak, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. These are the clans of Reuben, the sons of Simeon, Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jachin, Zohar, and Shaul, the son of a Canaanite woman. These are the clans of Simeon. These are the names of the sons of Levi, according to their generations, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari, the years of the life of Levi being 137 years. The sons of Gershon, Libni, and Shimei, by their clans, and the sons of Kohath, Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and Uziel, the years of the life of Kohath, meaning 133 years. The sons of Merari, Mali, and my favorite, Mushi, these are the clans of the Levites according to their generations. Amram took his wife, Jacobeb, his father's sister, and she bore him Aaron and Moses, the years of the life of Amram being 137 years. The sons of Izhar, Korah, Nepheg, Zikri, the sons of Uziel, Mishael, Elzapan, and Zithri. Aaron took his wife, Elisheba, the daughter of Aminadab, and the sister to Nashon, and she bore him Nadab, Abayu, Eleazar, and Ithamar, the sons of Korah, Asir, Elkanah, and Abiasaph. These are the clans of the Korites. Eleazar, Aaron's son, took his wife, one of the daughters of Putiel, and she bore him Phinehas. These are the heads of their father's houses of the Levites by their clans. These are the Aaron and Moses, to whom the Lord said, Bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their hosts. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt, this Moses and this Aaron. On the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? All right, we did it. Made it through all those names. The first observation that we should make of this text is that God knows every name. He knows every single name. It's a simple truth, right? Like, we know He knows every hair on our head. He knows everything about us. He knows us intimately. But He doesn't just know you. He knows your your family history. He knows every one, every crazy uncle, angry father, or overbearing mother in your lineage. And guess what? Jesus still came into this world to save sinners like us, to give us a hope and a future. He laid down his life for every branch 
on your family tree. He did. And that's hard to fathom because you've dealt with your family. They're not always the easiest people to deal with, right? I mean, that could get an amen. Like, I know Stephen would normally be trying to pull them out. But uh, he, he did. He died for every sinner on your family tree, which is all of them. He's still going to deliver these people from Egypt. So let's get down into that family history. So who are some of these people? Abraham had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob, Jacob had Israel, and Israel had these sons, three of which are listed in this genealogy, right? So we got Reuben, Simeon, and Levi are the great-great-grandchildren of Abraham. So Genesis 49, 3 through 7 gives us a little hint into who these people are. So Reuben, this is verse 3. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the firstfruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. Sounds pretty good, right? Yeah? Unstable as water, you shall not have preeminence because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. So Reuben, if we look into the, the story of who Reuben is, he slept with his dad's concubine, the side girl, right? Like, this is, this is who Reuben is. Reuben, like, is that, like, that's crazy. These are the people that God is choosing to deliver from Israel. Simeon and Levi, this is verse 5, Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul come not into their counsel. O oh, my glory, be not joined to their company. For in their anger they killed men, and in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. So the backstory on these two, uh, Simeon and Levi, they murdered a whole city of men that they convinced to be a part of the family of God by doing circumcision. They, they said, hey, you can marry one of my sisters if you all get circumcised, all the men in your city. And while they were down, while they were hurting, while they were sore, the scripture says, these two guys went in with their swords and killed all these people. Simeon and Levi. These people. The people of God, the chosen people of God, don't have it all together. Because such were some of you, some of me. We're the same as Reuben and Levi and Simeon. We've sinned in our hearts against God. We don't have it all together. So what makes God decide to deliver these people? God has chosen to be their God and for them to be his people. And a question that a lot of people ask is, why does God use broken and sinful people to move forward his kingdom? Simple answer is this. That's all he's got. Right? So when you start to disqualify yourself from serving in kids, from helping out with the tech team, from sharing the sharing. God's word with people in your work, from teaching people the gospel, from living your life according to God's vision for it. You can't disqualify yourself because 
God has chosen you to do that work. In Ephesians, we have Ephesians 2, it says that we are going to live in the works that God has made for us beforehand. We are destined to do the good work. And that's not because your past is so great. He hasn't prepared them saying, if your past is okay, therefore you get to go and make disciples of all nations. He says, despite what you have done, I have made you righteous before me. Now go and make disciples. There is no other option. So don't disqualify yourself. The other thing I want to notice here is uh, we got to skip back. So it's chapter 6, verses 10 through 14. Not my verses, but uh, I think it's going to be critical for some understanding. So Moses complains to God that no one's going to listen to him and cites the same excuse, which is, I'm of uncircumcised lips. I'm not an eloquent speaker. And then we get his family tree. And after that, we get God telling Moses again to, uh, that, that who he is is I am. He says, I am the Lord. So we have excuse, family tree, I am the Lord, do what I say, right? So in the midst of our excuses, we must remember who we are in the promise of God and who God is. Because the more I've meditated on, on this section of Scripture, I noticed that it's this pattern. This excuse, and then in the genealogy, he's saying, I am connected to the people that God chose in Abraham. Moses and Aaron come from the family that God said he wasn't going to leave behind. And then after that, Moses writes that God tells him who he is. So these are the Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their host. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt. This Moses and this Aaron And on the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. So how does God encourage Moses? It's the same way that he greeted him in chapter 3. He says, I am the Lord. He tells Moses his name. Again, I am Yahweh. Go tell Pharaoh everything that I tell you. And basically, that's evangelism 101. Go Tell them my name. Tell Pharaoh who I am. Make my name known. And so when we feel discouraged, struck down, disappointed, hopeless, unqualified, or unable to do that good work that God has prepared for us, we must remember who we are in connection to the promise of God. So I'm going to remind you this morning. Hopefully this part is super encouraging. I want you guys to listen to each passage that we're about to read. Because this is who you are if you know Jesus as Savior, as Lord. This is who you are in Christ. Romans 8.1 says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. You're justified. John 1.12 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. In Christ, 
you're adopted into his family. Romans 8, 38 and 39 says, Neither death, nor life, nor angels, or rulers, nor things present, or things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, not anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You are secure. Romans 6, 5 and 6 says, If we have been united to him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united to him with, a, in, with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. In Christ, you are free. And as 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10 says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now in Christ you have received mercy. And not only do you need to know who you are in Christ, but you need to know who your God is. So Psalm 103, I just want this to wash over your ears. I want this to become part of who you are. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works his righteousness and his justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he does remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion, to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass, he flourishes like a flower of the field. For when the wind passes over and it's gone, its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And his righteousness to his children's children and to those who keep his covenant. And remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. That is your God. It's a good God. We must know who we are and who God is. It's then that we can do what God calls us to do. And what does he call us to do? Similarly to what God calls Moses to do here, go and tell Pharaoh all that I've said to you. Jesus tells us in Matthew 28, 
Go and make disciples, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. He calls us to share the gospel that Christ came into this world to save sinners like us, to give us hope. Right? Jesus, God, came to this world to live a perfect life on your behalf, to do good, to show us everything that we need to do, but we can't on our own. And then he died for you. That he didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave, conquering sin and death forever so that when we place our faith and our trust in him, we have hope. He calls us to love one another bear with the difficult people in your uh, family group that you disagree with on issues. To, to love your family that might cause you some pain or stress, anxiety. The children's ministry, uh, I will take every chance I get to plug the children's ministry. To love those children in there, and to love the parents in here by giving them an opportunity to sit without a kid for like an hour. To encourage each other, to teach each other. He calls us to pray, to be dependent on him, and cast our anxiety towards him, to pray for one another's needs and desires. That's what he calls us to do, and we cannot do that until we know who we are and who God is. And the last thing I want to point out from this genealogy that has been uh, very pressing to me is this. Any of these people on this list, God could have used to deliver the people of Egypt or the people from Egypt. Any of them. There's nothing special about Moses. Right? So here we go. In God's infinite wisdom and kindness... He could have chosen Phineas, but God chose Moses. It could have been Mushi, but God chose Moses. And it could have been Uziel, and I wanted you guys to say it, but what? God chose Moses. Way to go. So, in your life, to be around the people that you're around, to be in the circles of influence that you are in, to be in the family that you're in, God has chosen you to be there. However difficult those people are, however easy, some of y'all might have it easy. <laughs> I keep talking about how hard it might be. It might be easy. God has chosen you to be in that job around those people with those family members enjoying those kinds of activities to do what Jesus would do if he were you in those situations with those people. He's chosen you. Hopefully that's encouraging. Because guess what? The people of Israel, they ended up making it out, even though Moses wasn't eloquent in speech. Because it's never about it being Moses. 
It's about God saying, I will do it. We're going to get there, and it's going to be awesome. But it's always God in you doing it. Submit yourself to who he is and what he's doing in your life. Go and make disciples. Um, so a little bit about me. This is how this scripture and these points can apply to my life. And so that hopefully it can make some connection for you. God knows that I'm a sinner, and yet he chose to save me. He knows my family history and all the things that my parents did in raising me, good and bad. They're right here in the front row. They know everything. And Christ still came to this earth in his grace to save. So when I remember my history, I need to remember that God still gives us grace. He still, he knows every ounce, every sin that I ever commit, and he gives grace. And uh, when I'm in the middle of an anxiety attack or in a spiral of sadness, I need to remember who God is, that he's strong, that he's sovereign and caring, that he delights to hear me pray, to come to him as my father in heaven. And when I'm doing my other, my other thing, when I'm pouring lattes at Jethro's for a customer that's getting on my nerves, it's none of y'all in here, I promise. Um, I need to remember that God chose me to interact with this person and to display his character to them. Not anger and impatience, but compassion and mercy and grace and patience. So God knows our history, yet he still chose to deliver us. And in order to do what we're called to do, we must know who we are and who God is. And God has chosen you for this moment to be in your spheres of influence for the sake of the advancement of the kingdom of God. He's chosen you to do it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you're good. And we praise you for all that you've done for us and in us and that you're going to do through us. So God, I pray that... Uh, as we move in communion, Lord, that we would go to the table with joy and thankfulness. Lord, would you wake up joy in our hearts for what you've done? Would you remind us that you freed us from sin and you've called us to an abundant life as your sons and daughters? Lord, teach us to live a life that honors you. And would you remind us that every part of your word is important. We love you and we praise you. Amen. We're going to move to communion. And um, this is for people who are baptized believers. If you're not a believer yet, or do you want? If you have any questions about that, uh, what it would mean to step into a relationship with Christ, uh, the elders and deacons, some of us will be over in the back and to the side. Uh, we'd love to talk to you about what it would be like to enter into that relationship with Christ. So um, let's continue as in our worship. <laughs>